Happy Mom Day! Welcome to Mom Your Business, the podcast. I am your host, Tanya T. Morris, CEO, Chief Excitement Officer, and founder of Mom Your Business, where our mission is simply to support mompreneurs by connecting them to resources and opportunities that lead to success in business and in life. I'm so excited to have you listening to our show today. There are literally millions of podcasts that you could be listening to, but you chose Mom Your Business. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also check us out on all social media platforms, Mom Your Business on Facebook and Instagram. You can also check us out on our website, mommyourbusiness.org, and learn more about the work that I do as an author, speaker, and mentor at mommyourbusiness.com. So thanks again for tuning in. We have a great show lined up for you today. Thank you, and you're listening to Mom Your Business, the podcast. We have a hot topic today on Mom Your Business, the podcast. Last week, it came out that Gucci was planning to release a sweater with a cutout and red lips. It was, you know, the whole blackface thing again. I just don't understand the fascination with blackface, but here we are. So soon after, celebrities like T.I. and Spike Lee and some others call for a boycott. Okay, cool. Um, but Tank shared a video of a brother in Oakland. Goes by D-Nice. His website is... Boy Scout Flyboys Couture Club.com. Flyboys Couture Club.com. And he said something that I thought was really heavy. He said, listen, you know, boycotts, but none of you celebrities are sharing an alternative. You're not redirecting people to support somebody that looks like you. They didn't list a website of an African-American luxury brand or, or, re, or, or, re, or how you could redirect your dollars. And that's important. So I, I posted the link to the video um, from D-Nice on the Facebook, on our Facebook page that's uh, Facebook uh, slash mom your business um, as well as a link to a story of 22 luxury brand companies you can support um, I, I posted the link for that as well so today we're going to really talk about the business of fashion additionally there's this issue of tariffs and China and where many wholesalers purchase, you know, their wholesale goods from. So we're going to go and really talk about this business of fashion. I used to own a t-shirt company and I can tell you that, you know, people always are asking and, you know, talking to me about those things. And so um, we really want to talk about this business of fashion. So our guest today, our interview today is with Jackie Jenkins. Stay tuned for our interview with Jackie Jenkins. Today's show is all about Fashion. We're going from soup to nuts on how to successfully run a fashion business. You know, I used to have a T-shirt company uh, years ago, and so uh, this is really something that's near and dear to my heart because I get calls and ladies all the time that ask me about starting a fashion brand. And so I'm especially excited to have Jackie Jenkins um, as our guest today, Jackie is the Acting Executive Director of Strategic Planning and Innovation at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. Uh, Jackie leads the efforts to develop and execute college-wide planning while also establishing programming and physical 
and a physical location in New York to support FIT's goals to be in it, to be an innovative hub for the creative industry. Um, she's the founder of Sophisticated Curations, a social community established to support the fashion interests of professional, mature women, and author of Supply Chain Management. I can't wait to talk to her about what it takes to write a textbook. Uh, the book takes you through the entire fashion supply chain from raw materials to the consumer and everything in between. Everything you need to know to run a fashion business. Um, Mommy Business is all about resources, and I know so many entrepreneurs, again, that are either interested in creating a T-shirt company or having an apparel company, and I thought Jackie would be a great person to share her expertise on how to do it the right way. So, Jackie, welcome, and thank you for coming on the show. Tanya, thank you. Thank you. First of all, that was a great introduction and part of what got me into business and fashion and writing textbooks was really to support those that have entrepreneurial dreams. So I really appreciate being here. Thank you so much. So I want to start first by asking you to tell us a little bit more about yourself um, and how, you know, your business background and how you really got started. Sure. So I'm going to go way back um, in terms of what got me to fashion and business. Um, and actually, that's really where my focus is, is really the business of fashion. So as a kid, I played with paper dolls, and my mom read those magazines, and my dad was like a tax um, preparer. So <laughs> you put that all together, fast forward, it gave me um, not only an interest in business, but a real passion for dressing. And that kind of really matured into, well, how do you really make business, um, make money in the fashion industry? Um, I studied economics at Spelman undergrad. Um, All right. Even, even when I was in, I know, HBCU, um, even when I was um, in college, I always did something in fashion. Um, I, I actually started out in retail, um, working for Abraham and Strauss. I don't know if to my folks that are on the East Coast, you may know that department store. Um, but I was one of the early members of their fashion team. Um, and then that led into me doing fashion fair, um, where I did cosmetics. And then when I was in Atlanta, I worked for a shoe retailer, which actually was kind of like the precursor to DSW. And so okay. always, always fashion around me. Um, left undergrad, and my my family, they didn't understand the fashion thing back then. All they knew is that when you work retail, you work weekends, and they really, um, it just it just didn't seem like the career path that they wanted me to do. And so I actually went <laughs> to banking. Um, so I spent five years in banking, and while I was in banking, actually, I, um, on the side, was selling Mary Kay. So still doing fashion-related, and, if, you know, that's a whole nother discussion in terms of um, great side hustles to support kind of your mm. entrepreneurial dreams. Um, the reason mm. why you as a sidebar, you know, it was 50 cents on a dollar. Um, so it's right. a great way to make money. Um, so, so I did banking for about five years. I was actually doing commercial real estate. And one of the things that I knew was that I really wanted to advance in business. and mm. I thought I was going to stay on the banking path, and I knew to do continue to do banking at the level I wanted to. Then I needed advanced degrees, so I went um, 
and got my MBA in finance from the Wharton School. And I'm originally from Philly. Um, so okay. I can't get back to Philly. Um, I did finance there. And it, it was interesting because I was a lender going into um, the graduate program, I actually got a job that paid for half of my tuition that mm. was around advising small businesses. Um, mm. And so I did business advising and really focused on how to sm- support small businesses. And okay. so I came out and actually um, ran something at, at Wharton called their Small Business Development Center, which is still um, alive and running. I Actually, it's a resource that I encourage um, individuals to look at. They are part of the Small Business Administration. Um, the great thing, and they're, they're in every um, city, the great things about Small Business Development Centers are typically connected to graduate programs um, in business. And it's actually a free consulting resource for small businesses. So I ended up um, being the director of that. Um, fast forward, have my own business, and then 9-11 happened. And mm. what I realized was that it was really tough to be an entrepreneur on the East Coast at that time. The business that I had founded was actually around raising capital um, and support for early-stage technology companies. And I decided that I wanted to do the thing I love and actually um, came up to New York, um, and I got a corporate finance job with Ann Taylor. Um, and I don't know if um, you, you're familiar with the brand, but basically – Of course. <laughs> of course you're familiar with Ann Taylor. <laughs> wow. Okay. And, and, and I say that because a lot of what I'm doing now, um, and we'll fast forward and talk about the book, but it was at Ann Taylor I really got an understanding of how to dress women, um, not mm. only from a style standpoint, but from a profitability standpoint. Um, mm. a lot. So my background is finance. I am not a technical designer. I work with designers to execute on a vision. But my mm. real strength is understanding the financial aspects of bringing, um, it be it an entrepreneurial venture or you know a design to life. And so, I, you know, yeah. no, I, you know, I want to jump in because you you've been you've said a lot, and I and I'm taking it all in because you know a lot of times you know our career paths don't start off the way that we anticipate. And I think what I've heard you say is is that you have found a way to bring together your love and your passion. Um, and it sounds to me like, you know, the Ann Taylor position was the one that really kind of connected the dots for you with the finance bank background that you had and your love for fashion. Oh, exactly. Um, I, I don't know how much time we have, but um, we got as so much time as we need. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, so I'll be honest that that was that was a pivotal moment, um, and it was interesting um, when I came out of undergrad. You know, I went it it at the time. So I graduated from college in '89, and mm-hmm. at that time, you know, retail was not the retail that we know. There weren't, right. quote, unquote, um, there were always careers in detail, but there wasn't e-commerce, there wasn't a strategy component. 
and it didn't seem like the career path for for um for me to take at that time. But even though it was my love, so it actually took me like a fifteen year window, very astutely time, yes, for you to pick that up um, to get back in. Um, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So, the thing that you love, so that you don't have a 15-year detour. But, but I will say, I what I was pregnant in that. Had I not um, spent the time in banking, I wouldn't have the business component going in. Right. So it's yes. I love what you said, but I really love what you said that it was where you that you learned how to dress women, not just fashionably but profitably. Um, that's really that's really really um, a powerful statement. And so, when did you get into? How did you get into the teaching aspect? Before we talk about you know and, and creating the global fashion supply chain management degree program that's a, a mouthful in and of itself but when did you when did you know when did it turn for you um to take that to the teaching side of things yeah so so that actually started um when i was in grad school okay and like i said when i was um when i was in Boston, where I worked in banking, I, I I was essentially I was a small business lender. I focused on mm, real estate. But right. At the end of the day, the asset that I was lending against was um, the assets of the business. So I so I understood liquidity and cash and this and that. And yes. so there was an opportunity at the, the the center where the school was located for consultants. And what they did was they actually paid for half of the tuition. And and I always knew that I wanted to have um and I always knew that I needed to have some freedom and flexibility. And, you know, a part of having freedom and flexibility is actually having little debt. And so when I went to grad school, you know, I kinda I just looked for ways to, to, to go basically as free as I could. So while I was okay. there, I um part of my job was actually teaching um night classes to entrepreneurs about finance and business plan writing. And I started doing that when I was a student and I actually kept that up um for about ten years, just on and off. Like I teach it a class a um pretty much like a class a year. But you know, I just kept the relationship going. And as I decided that I wanted to go more into um, business and fashion, I actually ended up going back to um, Wharton in a different role, and that kind of created the opportunity for me to get on this kind of and it's really academic administration path. When did you create that 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 track, the supply chain management? And if you could really succinctly kind of tell us, you know, tell tell the audience really what fashion supply chain management is, and then how how you were, you know, how you created that that program. Sure, sure. So it, it actually. Started when I was at Ann Taylor, um, and when I was at Ann, so I was at Ann Taylor like early 2000s, right? And okay. At that point, at that point, supply chain management wasn't 
it, the buzzword was there, but at the end of the day, it was still kind of considered procurement. And mm. so I, as, as a corporate finance position, one of the jobs that I had was actually doing budgets for our sourcing department. And essentially, and, and, and Ann Taylor will talk a little bit about where production occurs, but basically Ann Taylor was starting to be vertically integrated, which means that basically they do their designs and then they actually do the production. And that meant that we actually had production houses in China. And so a part of my job was creating the budget annually to support that. And as I was doing that, it kind of gave me um, an appreciation and understanding for when you talk about doing production abroad, how you have to think about the tariffs, and then how you actually even have to think about it as a designer in terms of how you design. And so mm. fast forward, um, I kind of held on to that, and I was like, okay, this is this is great information, great project. And then actually 10 years out, which is kind of um, now five years ago, mm-hmm. um, I, I decided to come, come back to New York, and I took a job at um, another school that focused on fashion. And what they asked me to do were to look at opportunities to create new graduate degrees that would support the industry. And one of the things that I saw that was happening, things like Amazon um, and One Day Prime and this and that, that means that things had to be made much quicker. Right. Um, and I'm, at that point, I wasn't even factoring in, you know, the whole customization, the fact that you can go to a Nike and customize your own sneaker. I mean, I was at the mm-hmm. basic level of – I. When I was at Ann Taylor, one of the things that we just constantly knew that if we were doing production, it took six weeks to come across um, the boat on China. But, and that's a part of why, you know, the seasons existed and how you were designing. And, and quite honestly, when, when, when you, um, when I was there, fast fashion had not really hit. Right. So fast fashion was really a game changer in terms of what that meant from supply chain. Um, I talk about it a little. There's a um, uh, in my book. There's a there's a case study on Zara. Um, I would encourage any designer that is interested in understanding um, supply chain. And granted, it's at a larger scale. But Zara is an interesting business because Zara um, probably has the, I would say, one of the most advanced supply chains for fast fashion, meaning that they are able to look at um, an item on the Golden Globes, produce it, and have it in the store probably within a two- to three-week window. Um, where the average retailer is probably at, you know, the three to four months, and that would be quick for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so looking at that, that um, got me to think about how do you train people to think about supply chain? And so, while at the other that while at the other schools with, and I do have a co-author. Uh, Michael Londrigan on the book, we got together and we and he, and he had worked in the men's industry. And we when we were doing the curriculum for this new degree, I just saw that there really weren't books that talked about, you know, the actual supply chain. 
And, yeah. you know, it, it, it's everything from not only am I designing it, but more importantly, I have to get it produced. So what's the process to think about? Do you produce in China? Um, but then also, what's the financial aspects of that? Um, mm-hmm. One of the big things in fashion is, it, just like any business, it's about cash flow. That's um, it. That's it. And the understanding as you're designing, you know, what what um, does it mean from a cash flow standpoint? Now, the tricky thing that is that I, there's two new elements to fashion um, today that were subtle ten years ago, but I that I believe that are front and center right now. I think because of fast fashion and because of the social media influencers, <laughs> the consumer buying is um, she or he is not patient with style. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's very quick, right? Styles do not last long. Um, a right. trend can happen because, you know, one of the Kardashians, like the Juicy Couture, one of the Kadars, um, one of the reasons why the velour sweatsuits came back, I want to say now three seasons, three seasons ago, um, is because one of the Kardashians wore that sweatsuit, did something on one of the social medias, and bam, it was a hit. And then was a hit. Wasn't going back to when we was wearing velour sweatsuits. It wasn't no big deal, right? Right. But the good and the bad thing on that is one. Right. You couldn't have predicted that, right? Right. Right. But, but it was an instant success, and so now brands that had the um, actually brands weren't even really doing sweatsuits to be honest with you, right? Right. 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 And so one of the things that I will say about fashion now, and 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 it's also why brands are really designing into um, smaller inventory lots because the change is so quick, right? We we're getting out of the point where a, a brand doesn't have you know the fall season to sell all its fall before it goes to spring. Um, so that's why companies are starting to do multiple um, multiple seasons um, because the customers changing so quickly. No, because what, what I was going to say was I think you make an excellent point relative to business and that how these social media influencers can impact your bottom line, right? Mm-hmm. Like you talked about, you know, velour sweatsuits, you know, um, I didn't even know that. So that, that but but the impact that they can have um, on your bottom line is just tremendous today. And even for mm-hmm. somebody that has a smaller, you know, T-shirt brand or, um, you know, just a smaller clothing line, that opportunity to put something like that. And I remember when we had Girlification, we were, you know, trying to get it on different celebrities and get it to this one and get it to that one mm-hmm. so that, you know, we would have that influence to help, you know, build build the brand recognition. I think it creates a challenge in terms of it's hard to project and manage. And, and, and I don't want to even get it, and that's a whole other conversation, what artificial intelligence is doing. That's a whole other discussion. Um, but 
I also think it's creating a new opportunity for small brands to really stand out globally. Meaning, yeah. look at all the brands that have, um, you know, just blown up because they've created a social media presence. Um, a lot of a lot of what you're seeing with the online um, cosmetic brands that are just doing phenomenal. That's all social media. Yeah, yeah. But that that would not have occurred absent this whole wave of social media and influence. So I so I do think it creates an opportunity. The other thing that it does, and and I and I have I have seen this over the past ten years. Um, you know, in some ways, because now you have to have a gazillion followers to be seen. You know, there was a window three to five years ago where the cost of entry for being a brand was actually a lot cheaper because instead of me needing to do um, a marketing piece at a major magazine or whatever, I could actually create momentum online for free. Um, mm-hmm. To some degree, because, you know, the whole algorithms to create social media, this and that, that has gone away. But there was this window when it was fairly cheap to actually launch a new brand. And there were some brands that really did well from that. You know, one of the things that I've um, been talking to emerging designers, I say, you know, how you design your product. I think it's how you create it in terms of social media and how you manage your money. So, you know, lately, and this is we're talking about, and I'm sure, you, and you mentioned China, I, I really want to talk about the fact that, you know, recently in the news, we've been reading a lot about the tariffs and and other things that are impacting. How how do how do those things that have happened relative to that impact the supply chain? The title of my book is the Global Fashion Supply Chain because it's totally yes right now it's global. Right? Yeah, and I think the number is ninety to probably ninety six percent of what we wear is produced in China. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. you know the tariffs. The tariffs are interesting, right? Because yeah. they are definitely um, they're definitely increasing the cost. And, and so, and just 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 to kind of put a little perspective, the the, the fact that business runs very um, you know it's it's small margins, right? And so that additional cost of a tariff on an item is significant, right? The, the 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 challenge is when a company puts their supply chain in place, um, and this is the other another thing that we talk about in the book is a lot of it is relationships. You know, it, yes, there's a legal component. If you you know they don't do what they're supposed to do, you can sue them. You go through all that, you could miss the market, right? So right. when you keep a factory, I mean, it really is a relationship thing. So it, you know, yes, I think the large brands are starting to have conversations around, you know, now everybody's talking about, well, you know, production's going to move, and we should talk about that too. You know, there's different countries um, that will win, but it's not going to happen overnight, right? Right. Um, and so that's something to think about. I mean, one of the things that's interesting, so this time next year, we will feel the effects of the tariff to some degree because what mm. happens is, you know, the, um, the so even though there's fast fashion and all this and that, um, 
by the time the tariff stuff really took into effect, a lot of that stuff was already on the boat or had it been ordered, right? So mm-hmm. as 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 it was announced, it didn't affect the orders for 2018. There will be some effect for 2019. Um, and because because now people are starting to think about, well, do I need to move production? So you'll see some production changes. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion going on right now about India um, in terms of being um, another, I can't say China per se, but who knows. Um, there is some talk about Africa as well. And so I, I do think globally you will see some shifts in where production potentially will go. It's just the volume of what's in China is so high. But, but what I will also say in terms of being an optimist, I think it also does make a stronger um, business reason to look at local manufacturing in terms of doing stuff in the U.S. potentially. Um, the talent that the U.S. has continuously had is, you know, it's our labor cost, but it's also our cost of raw materials. Um, so, you know, one of the things that made China so attractive is, you know, the cotton over there is a little cheaper. Right. A little cheaper. So, but, but I think you're going to see, you are going to see a more shift in that. And, and I think this millennial generation and younger, you know, they're starting to ask more questions about the environment and, and mm. fair wages. Yeah, and one yeah. of the things that's really interesting about the supply chain is, you know, globally, the majority of the people in the supply chain are young women. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about cost of labor and this and that and, you know, potentials for expectations, those are young women. And so, you know, there's there's um there's more discussion around how to do better at that. Um, there's also an element of the technology has gotten a lot smarter. And so there's things um, like now you are able to track your production fully electronically. Which, right. You know, before, you know, before people think, say things like off the cart, um, well, now there's a way to electronically basically tag all items. So I, I think you'll see more, um, as I, you'll see more, it has gotten cheaper and more effect, more efficient to be compliant. Um, right. So I think that will have an impact also globally. And so Jackie, when you say that we'll feel it next year, what is that going to, what is it, how are we going to feel it? Is it going to be in pricing? Is it going to be in delivery? What is it in, in, how are we going to feel it? Well, so, you know, I, I, I can't remember the quote of the number, but as, as a, the tariff is a cost, so that means, you know, the raw materials and, and will go up. So that will get passed on to the consumer. Okay. Um, I, I, I also, it, and I'm just not, it, it's hard to say how long it will take in terms of um, volume, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's a cost. So it, it, it affects the landed good. Now, net-net, what you may see maybe, um, and this kind of goes back to how you design and production, and so there's only but so much the market will bear. So, you know, maybe some of the embellishments in an item will be less to cover the additional cost, right? But uh-huh. it's the cost that has to move through the supply. I mean, the reason why it's called a supply chain 
is because it goes through a chain of, you know, vendors, individuals before it gets to you, the consumer. So just as we, we, we kind of bring this thing to a close, I did really want to talk to you about drop shipping because, you know, when we had the T-shirt company, this was something that, you know, people used to talk to me about. This was – and this was – in its infancy, sort of, kind of, for us, anyway. Um, but what I realized was that the profit margin wasn't real great to drop, for drop shipping things like T-shirts, um, you know, for your own brand, because it, it, it just, to me, it just didn't seem profitable. Can you, can you speak to, to the drop shipping um, um, for a minute? Yeah, I mean, I guess, and and I, I've, so I will, I will start off by saying I've not directly done drop shipping. Okay. Um, so what I'm speaking on here is more just kind of what I've read about it. Um, I think to your point, it really does depend upon what's the item. Um, yeah. In terms of the level of profitability, I, and and I also think it also really depends upon the source that you're actually getting it from. Um, I know a lot of, a lot of the larger retailers they're not trying to hold inventory, so. That may not always be the option, but you know, I I think what's interesting is we we are we're, we've entered into this time in retailing where a lot of what wasn't the case potentially may need to be the case because of what <laughs> right. Um, and, and what I would say to entrepreneurs trying to look at options like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything is negotiable. Yeah. And so kind of understand, I think everything is negotiable, but I also think it's, 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 it really matters seeing your vendors as partners. Yes. And, and what that potentially means for your business, right? And, and, and kind of looking at your vendors as a strategic, strategic opportunity to grow into your business. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, one of the things that dropshipping does, it, it allows you to take, to reduce some of your financial risk, although, you know, there's the cost component of it. But, but early on, that probably makes a lot of sense, right? So I, I think it's, it's kind of understanding who, who that dropshipper is, um, mm-hmm. and how they strategically fit with your business. But I just think overall, um, because it, it seems to me because just a, and, and I'm, I'm kind of saying it basically, but because everybody's trying to figure it out to make money, I think that you will see new ways and new rules of how things will go. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's necessarily um, that the brands have all the power now. Right. Um, I, the consumer has a lot of power, and that affects, you know, how things are negotiated. Yeah. So, so I think really looking at those relationships um, is is key. All right. Well, listen. I want to thank you so so much for being a guest on the Mind Your Business podcast. You have shared some amazing amazing things relative to this fashion supply management, and I think that um, and I'm really hopeful that our, our listeners that are thinking about this as, a, you know, the opportunities that exist in fashion and what that all means, take a serious, serious look at this side of the business. The thing that stood out for me was that learning to clothe 
women both fashionably and profitably. That that still stuck in my head. So mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. that was a really a really a really great takeaway for me. So any last closing remarks before we let you go? Yeah, I I just um I want to do a shameless plug. Um, okay. Kind of, so, so 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 my so my passion project is really sophisticated curation. Yes. Um, it's exactly what it it says. Um, we're on Facebook. We are a community that passion ideas um for what I call the savvy professional that wants to look great. And okay. so, you know, we're trying to grow our followers as a support piece. So please like our page. Um, we're also on Instagram. It's J Curations. Um, and it really is, it's a community. One of the things that I have found as I have grown, um, or matured is, you know, you just, you don't have those, um, ongoing girlfriend relationships that you can just kind of turn around and say, I have this event. What do you think about it? And a part of what Sophisticated Curations is really trying to do is to create that kind of judgment-free zone to talk about mm. fashion, to talk yes. about fashion for you. Um, so we we did a little piece around the Golden Globe, um, and, and not so much, you know, the ahs and the oohs of the dresses, but, you know, how do you create that look on a budget, and what does that um, look do for you? So please. Check us out on Facebook, Sophisticated Curation, um, and we're on Instagram, J Curations. I love it. Sophisticated Curations, check them out on on Facebook, J Curations on uh, Instagram. Thank you so much, Jackie. I really appreciate your time and for, for working this out with me. I really this was really a great conversation. I'm I'm looking forward to to, to really getting it up and, and sharing it with our audience. I so appreciate you having me. Wow, what an amazing interview with Jackie Jenkins that was. Whew. So listen, this is an episode that is for those who are serious about building a global brand. This is not for those people who are just selling your little t-shirts out of the trunk of your car. And that's cool if it's generating some revenue. But the things that Jackie's talking about with profitability and dressing people profitably and knowing your supply chain and drop shipping this is serious serious business so i really really hope that you got a lot out of out of it if you are serious about building a global fashion brand um you need to listen to this episode over and over again to really um understand how this thing works and pick up jackie's book as well um just a couple quick announcements we are hosting our beginners to winners uh, workshop on thursday march the 21st at dare to imagine church 6610 anderson street that's right on upsell between anderson and artley um if you're stuck with a project if you are having problems overcoming obstacles obstacles to getting things done um you have an idea you have a product anything um that is holding you back and you really need um some some guidance and some assistance on going to the next level this workshop is for you um you can register at beginners to winners dot you want to come prepared to dig in we're going to have a workbook we're going to really look at creating a profile we're going to show you how to package yourself we're going to show you how to identify bids and win contracts 
Um, so you want to definitely be in the room for this. And then uh, every year we are a partner with Woman Up, which celebrates women who are stepping up both in their business and in their communities. So on Sunday, April the 28th, we will have our annual Hat and Tea Awards party. Um, this year, we're going to be at the Bartram Gardens. You want to definitely get your tickets early. We sell out every single year as we celebrate some amazing women who are who are stepping up both in their community and in their business. The tickets uh, for that are Woman Up uh, Tea in the Garden dot Eventbrite dot com. Woman Up Tea in the Garden dot Eventbrite. Com. Once again, thank you to Jackie Jenkins for sharing all of her wealth of knowledge around the business of fashion. Uh, always and forever, remember now is the day, so enjoy it. Yesterday is over, so learn from it. And tomorrow is not promised, so pray about it. Tanya T, out. Whole crew got the juice, came the truth.